Hey, what's going on? This is the Educated Guest Podcast. I'm Justin, your host. If this is your first time listening, I just want to say thank you, first and foremost, for becoming a part of this community. You know, if you decided to click on this particular episode, it means that you have a deep interest in holistic development as it pertains to the way that you practice art and design. And if you choose to continue listening to this, then it might mean that you have a deep interest in the different ways that you might be able to attain, obtain information, to obtain knowledge, and to sort of bring it back holistically into your practice. So most people who are part of this community are extremely interested in the sort of way that they can maybe get their dream job or start a practice of their own, or maybe just be introduced to something new, you know, reset their algorithm of sorts. And we found sort of three pillars that sort of help prop up that level of intention, that level of um, questioning and inquisition as it relates to a career and as it relates to a life and a holistic life well lived. And those three are this. Number one, we're interested in the development of the mindset of the artist. How do you keep your confidence? How do you sort of build a routine around your life and your practice? How do you integrate your practice into your life so that the two are not divorced and it's completely separate from one another? How do you build that creative confidence, like I said, to continue your practice? That's number one. Number two, we're interested in the development of the tactics, the tools, the templates. We call it our work study segment. And that helps people really understand what it means to be a professional what specific nuanced information that is required to practice at the highest level to be become world class and where are the places that you might be able to obtain that information in a more deep sense or just understand at a framework level what it means to do those things so that comes on wednesdays in our work study segment lastly we have our well-read segment a collection of monologues and dialogues as it pertains to the practice where you hear directly from people who are doing the things that you want to do, or you hear me giving a psycho psychoanalytic versus um, sort of biographical approach to documenting their stories as you know we move through time and we can come back to these names and always have somebody to reference. So those are the three sort of pillars of the way that we teach and the way that we deliver lectures and the way we deliver content. Um, but before I get into today's um, topic on Hegel, one more thing is very important. Um, if you're interested in to sort of figure out what it means to get deeply ingrained into this community, over 25,000 people have you know, found value in what we're doing over the past two years. And as a result, you know, we have a few channels. We don't like to overextend ourselves or 17 different channels. We have a few channels that we go very deep on and we're very interested in. Um, email is one of those. So if you're into email, if that's your thing, it's not necessarily our thing as it relates to reading emails. I don't really like reading emails, but most people find value in the way that we communicate stuff through email. So you can go to educated-guest.com, educated-guest.com and subscribe there. We promise not to bombard you with a whole bunch of nonsense and we promise to provide value whenever we do communicate. So those two things are promises that I aim to keep. Um, that aside, today we're talking about Hegel. And if you're curious about the name and you're curious about what it has to do with art and design, then you know a couple of key words to pay attention to are the notions of 
art history, the notions of philosophy, the connections of art as it moves through time, time markers and checkpoints of chronological moments in art history, um, how you how we come to understand the zeitgeist. These are the hashtags that sort of buttress up this argument or sort of uh, fortify the argument about Hegel and help us understand what he means to us historically. And we'll also get a little critical about the um, shortcomings of following a pure Hegelian approach to understand art and design. Um, For most people, I won't bore, bore those who already know about Hegel, but you know, most people here might be new to the name. Um, so um, Hegel is very interested in um, sort of defining art periods and defining the, uh, the framework for how we understand the zeitgeist or the spirit of the times. And he uses these three sort of time periods to define everything from, you know, the ancient you know, to the classical and into um, the Renaissance or sort of the more uh, what we come to understand in, in the Renaissance period or Baroque period, those sorts of things. So I won't get into what those three, you know, triadic sort of approach to or that triadic framework to understanding Hegel. Instead, what I'll do is talk about the impact of that and the impact of the Hegelian dialectic, the impact, what we should know for uh, as we move forward in this degree. So what I'll do is give five points, five points as it relates to the Hegelian sort of approach, the Hegelian method of understanding art, and hopefully it helps you throughout your day. Um, So the first thing that we can learn from Hegel is that every era contains something that could teach us something. And we have a task to be a historian. So a quick note on this is that most people go through life and they understand they understand things at a very surface level and that they accept a whole lot of things as being true historically. Admittedly, to dig deeply into the honesty of history and to dig into what it, what's actually correct and what's incorrect requires a great, great deal of privilege to have time to do that. You know, you can't question everything. You have to accept something as true in order to get on with your day to day. But if we pause for a moment right now, then I think everyone here listening would agree that understanding your history is in indescribably important. And the importance of having a framework for how you understand history is equally important because if you were to not have that, if you were not to have the, the symbolic period as Hegel describes, you know, if you were not to have the classical period as Hegel describes, you wouldn't have a necessarily um, sound argument for really positing anything new. And the whole premise of sort of the Hegelian approach is that art eventually dissipates and sort of dissolves into philosophy eventually. Whereas the, he he sort of posits um, toward the end of his work and sort of his, um, his later work, he posits that art as it's traditionally known as sculpture and sort of the plastic arts and the, the work, the work of even 
dating back to ancient times where we begin to talk about uh, the Sphinx and the, the pyramids of Giza. Do so, these sorts of things um, become less important as we move through time because the more important thing is the thought behind the idea itself. The idea is more important than the execution or even the manifestation of the idea as a physical object. So as we begin to understand these things, it's important that we 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 really dig deeply into that. So number that's number one. Number two is that we should be able to learn from ideas that we dislike. Learn from ideas that we dislike. So this is the premise of the Hegelian dialectic. Um, you know what sense of reason might exist within the bloody history of nationalism as it as it goes. Um, it's important that we sort of note. And this, you know, we've talked about this before with um, um, Carl Jung and sort of the shadow self and the ability to understand the opposite. And he go, I mean, Jung actually goes as far as, as to say that one doesn't truly understand his or herself until they can understand the depths of evil that they see out into the world and they can understand how they think the way they think. And this is important because the Hegelian dialectic uh, as boring as that sounds and as you know, academic as that phrase sounds, shows up in our everyday. You know, it requires a great degree of critical thought in order to sort of more move towards something that is worthwhile. You know, you take, I mean, this is why the two-party system politically is incredibly uh, problematic because it doesn't necessitate critical th- thought in order to move towards something that is um, synthesize into something better. So what you end up with is two competing sides, a thesis and an anti antithesis as it goes. And you don't necessarily move towards a filtering and a, a uh, corroboration and a cooperation between the two. Um, you just kind of stay on your polar in that polarity and that's not healthy. So the number two thing we can learn from Hegel is, you know, to how to learn from ideas you dislike. Number three thing that we can learn. Um, I found this one particularly interesting as someone sort of you know, shared it with me. It's that progress is messy. Progress is messy. Um, this is a, sort of an extension to the Hegelian dialectic as it's you know, sort of traditionally documented. That it usually takes about three moves to find something sensible. Three moves. It takes the thesis, the antithesis, and the synthesis. Um, What we end up with is finding this balance between extremes. And the balance is, you know, playing out on our everyday. You know, how how much money is enough money? How rich is it? How rich is too rich? How poor is too poor? These sorts of things are showing up in our everyday. But it requires that we understand the full degree of where our boundaries end on either end. So as we approach our, our craft, as we approach our our work, it's important that we document those things. Um, and the pain, the sort of painful stepping between era to era is inevitable. Um, it, it, as, as Hegel sort of documents it, um, he gives us a more manageable view of ourselves as it relates to history. And this is incredibly important because one, you know, one author that is a contemporary that most people might know of is Yuval Noah, Yuval Noah Harari. And 
I, I haven't read all of his books, but I've read 21 lessons uh, from the 21st century. And, or, and he's uh, very famous for uh, Sapiens and um, all of the books. He's working on a graphic novel right now, which I might get. Um, but the particularly interesting thing about um, that work from Harari is that he does the same thing. He posits that um, we need a way of understanding ourselves in, in, uh, in relation to the fullness of history. And even you can say the same thing about the work of um, Will Durant as we look through uh, uh, the lessons of history, that seminal work. Um, and that's a, probably one of the one of my favorite thinkers is Will Durant because he's able to sort of document the way that um, we relate to to history in a way that Robert Greene and Ryan Holiday have popularized over the past 20 years. But at the same time, we have to understand who was doing that before them. And Hegel is like Hegel is is like a uh, Ryan Holiday, a Yuval Noah Harari or a uh, um, Robert Greene of of his time. Um, some might say the original, like the OG. Uh, but the point here is that it's important that you understand how things move through time, whatever the framework may be, as as problematic as the Hegelian framework may be to it's with respect to when things began to sort of evolve out of this primitive nature into something that was more perfect and representative of the actual into something that dissipated and dissolved into theory and spirit alone um, remains to be seen. So the fourth one, so that's important. Progress is messy and it's important that we understand the polarities of progress. The fourth idea here, and if you're taking notes and you're wondering what you'll do with these notes, forget about wondering what you'll do with them. Again, allow this to happen through osmosis for this particular lecture. Allow these you know, notes and these sort of thoughts to come to you and sort of ingrain themselves in the work that you do day to day. Um, I can't tell you directly how this will help you make five more dollars tomorrow or, you know, anything like that. But these sorts of things will hopefully bring you a pick me up as, as you look back on your career, look on your practice, look at your life and begin to understand and zoom out of the day to day work of, you know, moving pixels or, moving audio files or moving video clips around in your laptop. So two more here. The fourth one is that art has a purpose. Art has a purpose. Um, this sort of sensuous presentation of ideas. Um, um, it's important here because I think this is a tangential moment where you begin to see the circle of Kant sort of like Kantian philosophy sort of meeting the Hegelian philosophy. And although they may or may not be exact contemporaries, it's important to acknowledge the work of Kant and the phenomenology of spirit. If you're interested in that, you can go and look up um, sort of what that work means um, as it relates to Darwinism and sort of the ideas, you know, even that <laughs> sort of the president the precedent um, of future ideas of like Violet Leduc and other people who posit this nature, this notion of superiority of any kind of some ideal beauty. So what we're talking about here is 
the presentation of ideas, making, making the basic ideas stick more imaginative, imaginatively in our minds um, is incredibly important because the power of art, and I've always believed this to be true, is the part, power of art and the power of the artist in particular is the ability to artic articulate that which we all know to be true, but fail to bring into language as we understand it today. And that's why poets and philosophers and great quotes that we read and even musicians that we love, that's why we gravitate towards them because the brevity, you know, the whole, the ancient, the, the old quote of brevity is the soul of wit is exactly what I'm talking about here because in that brevity, we find purity. In that brevity, we find honesty. In that brevity, we find truth. And the ability to become more and more brief and to communicate things outside the realm of how we understand it in the English language and, and Mandarin and you know French and Spanish and any of these languages, um, in Urdu, um, in Hindi, like a lot of these different languages inform um, the way that we understand the world, but they don't necessarily communicate the truth of how we understand the world at a mythical and a magical level. So that's the fourth thing. The fifth thing, and I'll wrap up here. Thanks for rocking with me for this long. I think the past 17, 18 minutes are incredibly like informative and dense. I understand talking about philosophy at whatever time you're listening to this, or whatever moment you're listening to this. It's kind of tough sometimes. Um, so Hegel speaks to the, the power and the necessity of institutional knowledge. Um, new, new institutions should help us see valuable insights and the idea of the institution. So we need institutions, he posits. And this idea of institution actually speaks to a, uh, an artist that I'll cover soon, Algieri Al Al uh, Boetti. And as um, you can look forward to that, that Boetti sort of um, posits a very similar thing, this notion of this dialectic of order versus disorder. And moving towards something that could be a more perfect union to play, to, to quote, I believe that's the constitution. I'm not sure. Um, but a, a more perfect, um, that might be the direct declaration of independence. It sounds like that would be there instead of the constitution, but to move towards a more perfect union of ideas, um, that pursuit of unity, that pursuit of ubiquity, that pursuit of, of, um, of utopia, I think is important to consider as a worthwhile practice. And institutions and institutional knowledge challenge this notion of individualism. You know, institutions are man-made constructs. How do we know they're man-made? Because institutions themselves can't suffer. You know, they don't have a, they don't have feeling around pain. They don't understand suffering. Like the United States does not suffer. Um, you know, nations don't suffer, colleges don't suffer until humans define what the suffering means for the institution. Otherwise, like these are just collections of individual suffering. So the people are suffering, but we can't understand the body of an institution. And what that means and why I'm bringing that up is because we often question the need for institutions. We want to defund everything. We want to take everything away. Um, we want to, um, no one's a fan of bureaucracy. I don't like bureaucracy. 
Yet, as we move through time, we begin to see, you know, the valuable insights in the idea of the institution, the idea that someone could create and pursue um, a holistic understanding of life in the world. And that's for another time, potentially, and maybe a continued conversation. Uh, but hopefully this has been valuable. You know, we've been talking for, you know, 20 minutes or so. And um, if it seems like anything that you're interested in, if you're interested in this level of depth as it pertains to, you know, any particular artist you're interested in or an idea you like, feel free to give us a shout. And if it sounds like something that you're into and something you found value in, then just subscribe to our newsletter at educated-guest.com, educated-guest.com. And um, we'll be sure to give you some information that way. And hopefully you will continue to come back and get more information from us. Thank you again so much for your commitment, your commitment in time, your commitment in effort, your commitment in passion and interest. I think that it takes a lot for people to sit and listen to 20 minutes about Hegel and all the problems therein and all of the benefits therein of thinking that way. Um, but it, it really speaks to your passion as a creator. That's all we have for today. 